Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. Government have been trying to say this has been unpredictable, but they need to be more creative and ambitious than that. I've had to go and set up a petition to try and get this over the line. I brought it to our minister. I brought it to the department. Nobody is listening. Can we just talk? Call 0818969696. Text or WhatsApp 0833969696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, good morning. What a glorious, gorgeous Friday morning is out there today. It's just beautiful. It's lovely. And the nice part was when I was driving in through town this morning early, I'd say the 7 o'clock news was on as I was driving along the keys to go up. What can I see? Only the first splinks of light. I love this time of year when the light is starting to come through in the mornings and by the end of February and by the 1st of March, the 1st of spring, the real 1st of spring, it'll be it'll be brightsome and lightsome as I'm coming into work. I just love it. I love it. Things are changing. 0818 96 96 96, our number. Coming up later, the Corkman, who is part of a sensational show on Netflix that has shot to number two globally on Netflix in the week or so that it's been out. It's, it's, a, it's bonkers. The show is utterly bonkers. It's kind of a combination of a spy drama and a science fiction show in from the cold. And there's a Corkman plays one of the leading roles. I'll be talking to him uh, later on this morning, plus plenty more besides. But we start again with a subject that has dominated much of our week, and that being the subject of passports. So, Susan, in the wake of all of these passport stories in the last few weeks and months, your one, I think, beats all. Now, this happened before the current crisis. So how how young were your kids when your husband died? 
Um, well, Aoife would have been two weeks shy of her, her first birthday. Um, so Aoife was, uh, Aoife was in November, the start of November, and uh, Jur uh, had a massive heart attack on the middle of October, um, back in, what, 2014. So yeah, so Aoife would have been uh, nearly one, and I would have been, I think was maybe eight, nine weeks pregnant on Kira Jane when he passed away. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. God. Okay. Okay, so when a few years go by, uh, you decide, okay, let's let's go on holidays. Let's bring my two little girls on holidays. You had to get passports for them. That's right. Um, so uh, we already had Aoife's passport because just before Andrew uh, passed away, we had actually, literally only maybe about a week before he passed away, we had been on holidays ourselves over to Portugal. And so we had her passport. So when Kira Jane was born, um, I think she was maybe two years of age and we decided, I decided, look, we're going to go on a sun holiday. And I set about getting uh, Kira Jane's passport mm. um, I set about getting her passport, uh, a, a new one for her. So I filled out all the forms, went and got a photograph taken, got everything together and went to the guard station in Blarney to get it stamped and uh, get their stamp on it and their, their witness on it. And they said, uh, no, we need the signature of the dad. And I said, oh, I said, there's um, a death certificate there. I said, um, their dad actually passed away, I said, um, before she was born. Yeah, we you need to do a form, something or other. Can't remember the, the legality and all of it. Sorry, Susan, who said this? The guards or the passport of it? The, the guard station. So, um, I mean, like, to be honest, the, the same guard that was there the morning that he, he died was the guard that was actually inside in the, the guard station as well. So she knew what was going on. And, but she said, look, it, it, it'll only get sent back and it'll only be delayed. So you may as well just do it, you know, the way they want to do it. Yeah. And there'll be no problems. So she was saying to you that the passport office don't accept the death cert. Yeah, it's like um, you, you had a caller there. I think it was. Yeah, I heard somewhere anyway that somebody had they, they send back um, they send back documents for something missing, information missing, and it could be mother's maiden name or something like mm. that. Well, they would send back this document. They would send back her application to me because this declaration was missing. Um, so I went to my solicitor, Niall Daly, and I said it to him. And he said, yeah, no problem. He said, we have that cert here. We can get it done up. So that was grand. If that was supposed to what was happening, you know, if that was everything that I was supposed to send in, that was grand. I had no problem doing it. So I sent them all off anyway. And um, roll on about three years later, Kira Jane's passport had um, expired. And John Looney from the Cork City Children's Hospital Club had invited myself and the two girls to go to Disney with them um, in Paris um, as part of the, the hospital's excursion for um, sick children. Yes. So I went to get Kira Jane's passport renewed and uh, went into the Garda station again, had to get it. They wouldn't accept it online. I couldn't renew it online. So I went over to the Garda station and um, I sent it all off. And next thing, oh, it came back to me. And I had to ring the guard. I had to ring the, the, the passport office and I said, well, look, what are you looking for? And they said, oh, we need the declaration, um, a declaration because the father's signature is missing. And I said, well, you know, I've or, I already sent in um when I uh, when I ordered her uh, her passport a couple of years back, or the first one, I sent in the declaration to you to see that you know he had passed away, and this had 
has had me absolutely dumbfounded, the gobsmacked, she said, oh no, we actually need the declaration again to say that he's still dead. Um, <laughs> Please tell me she didn't use those exact words. With the, not dead, but it's still the same, the same situation and that nothing has changed. And I said, well, look, you know, I... <laughs> He hasn't. He hasn't risen from the dead. He's. You know. I thought he was God, but he's not. He. He's. He hasn't risen from the dead, and he's still dead. And she was. You know. She goes. I'm sorry. She said. Look. You know. I'm very sorry for your, your loss and all that, and for everything you're going through. Um. But unfortunately, it'll keep getting sent back to you until you've got this document sent in. And Susan, did you ask at all when you had someone on the end of the phone why a simple death cert, a state document? It still needed to be. A, what you call it, um, a, dec- a sworn declaration. Wow. Oh, I have no idea. Do you know what? I think I was just so gobsmacked at the time that I still had to, I, I, I still had to um, confirm that he was dead. I mean, another thing, I mean, it's just baffling, <laughs> absolutely baffling. But on top of that, um, when I was getting, I'm yeah, because Kira Jane is um, Kira Jane's a little girl born with Down syndrome, and when I was applying for uh, carers for her, every couple of years they'll send you out a letter, and um, you know, is this still the same situation? Yada yada, you still, and they put down Kira Jane and little girl with Down syndrome, and um, is this still, is this still the, the, the situation? Is this still the case? Hang on, no, 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 no. They're, they're not, they're not asking if she. Please tell me, please. If tell she's me. grown out of it, yeah. Oh, Susan. I know, I know. But it's just state bodies. It's just gas, absolute gas. Well, it must be very upsetting, though. I mean, the the shock of losing Jarrett was bad enough. Mm-hmm. And, and building your life up again. And then maybe the first time having to get a sworn declaration, you say, fine, we'll, we'll do that. But you're faced with the mm-hmm. prospect of any time yeah. until your children are adults, you mm-hmm. have to get this piece of paper. I think until they're aged 18. Um, a parent has to sign. I, I'm not too sure now, but I think yeah. it is until until the age of 18. A parent, the, both parents have to sign the um, the passport. So yeah. Take take Kira Jane as an example. So she's got her passport. The declaration mm-hmm. was there with her passport. Mm-hmm. It only lasts three years. Are you saying that when you go to renew that passport for her, you've got to get the declaration again, even though it's on file from the first time? Exactly. And when I went, and I mean, I could, it will say, for instance, Kira Jane's passport might be out in May this year. I will have to renew it again and get it. And Aoife's might be out in September of this year, and I'll still have to go and get another declaration for her. Shocking. (laughs) You must tear your hair out sometimes, do you? Yeah, do you know what? To be honest with you, I, I, I just all you can do is laugh. I, I do, I do tear my hair out sometimes. Sometimes it is an absolute uphill struggle. Yeah, does it bring back the shock sometimes? Yeah, it does. It does. And I mean, he's gone. What? He's gone eight years now. Eight years this year. If will be nine in November, he's gone eight years this year, and it's still tough. It's just horrendous. They say it gets easier with time, and it doesn't, you know, because mm-hmm. you're still you're still meeting ty- um, milestones. I mean, Aoife's making her first World Communion this year, and I'm dreading it. That'll be hard. Yeah, I'm dreading being inside in the church by myself because they won't, um, they will let siblings into the church this year for the first time since the pandemic started, but uh, no grandparents, no aunts, no uncles. Now, I'm very close to my family, so the aunts and uncles, fine, I will get over. And, you know, they'll all be outside the church afterwards, but it's my mum and dad. You know, my grandparents, they, their grandparents, they'd love to be in, in the church with them. And, you know, I, I suppose that's, look, that's another story, like... 
Yeah, um, I mean, you know, you, like you said, it, it it gets easier, but then you have little hurdles like this that pop up. Yeah, that reminds you of the shock. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. He should be. You know, he's he should still be here. He should be. We should be here planning her party together, or you know, a meal together for her for her her first holy communion. Um, yeah, it's just going to choose her dress ourselves, and you know, be sharing in the excitement. But he's not. It's just horrible. You know? Yeah. And how are you? Ah, uh, sure. Do you know, every day as it comes, basically, I have to, I've got to literally put one foot in front of the other for the girls in the morning, um, and literally get them through the day, get myself through the day. I wonder if anybody else has come across this this problem with the passport office. I cannot get my head around how a state document like a death cert doesn't suffice. And maybe if it doesn't suffice, fine, they've probably got their reasons. But that a declaration being put in for the child's first passport has to be renewed every time the passport is renewed. I just don't get that. Yeah, I know. And has your solicitor perhaps been able to explain to you? Um, do you know now, I just, I think it, the whole thing about it was just shocking. And I just, I, I'm, I'm not one for drawing any trouble on myself or anything. Um, I try and stay away from it as best I can, but I just, you know, I just go with the flow, basically. I, you know, I'd say if I got onto him in the morning, he'd he'd probably explain to me, but I do remember asking him, saying it to him that it was absolutely incredible, incredulous that I had to go about this. And he went, yeah, you know, this this is just it. They're, they're, it's all sort of documents and he couldn't believe it either. So are you going to keep getting their passports? No, I'll have to. <laughs> I'll have to for my own sanity. Now, in saying that, that we won't be going anywhere next this year because uh, they're both high risk. Um, they've both had their first jab for the vaccine and they'll be going hopefully on Sunday to get their second vaccine. But I will leave it possibly until next year, until right. um, you know, and until things settle down and then maybe take them somewhere. And at what stage do they get their first... It's a few years now since my kids were kids, as it mm-hmm. were. At what age do they get their first, like, proper... 10-year passport do you know um god i don't know um i mean like i even have we can find that out yeah i have her passports here now in front of me and i mean ifas is up oh ifas is up in april this year (laughs) i'm not throwing it on me (laughs) no that's that's another battle for another day and kira jane's is up then in 2024 so that's something at least okay okay well susan I, i wish you well and and thank you for 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 telling us your story today and I hope that when the communion comes around, it'll still be a lovely event. Yeah, well, hopefully. And listen, I only hope that, you know, if anybody out there is listening and, you know, they are going through the same situation as myself, but haven't haven't applied for a passport yet for their child, just be aware that this document, this document is needed and it might save a few tears, you know, in the just guard station or whatever. Yeah, you know, so hopefully it'll, it'll raise some sort of awareness for them that uh, they will need this document. Susan, thanks and have a good day. No problem at all. Spoke to Susan last evening. If bureaucracy and red tape were Olympic sports, we would be the undisputed gold medalists time and time again. <laughs> Bureaucracy, like it's just demented, and she's—I think she's with a great chat, with a great chat, and she's uh, she just gets on with it. She's an amazing lady. I mean, imagine that, like your your husband, literally drops dead of a heart attack just weeks before your second child is due to be born, and your first child isn't a mo- isn't a year old yet. 
The fact, I think the fact that she can put one foot in front of the other and string two words together into a sentence is amazing in the first place. Hi PJ, those two examples of administrative incompetence in our civil service shows exactly why the country is in the state it's in, says Craig. And definitely it's got to be a money-making racket of some kind, says Kevin. You, you wouldn't dream up a scheme like this. Like, okay, a death cert is a state document. That's the first thing I don't understand. Secondly, okay, for the first passport the little child has to get, you might understand, you might stretch yourself to understand the need for some kind of declaration. We'll give that that. But the fact that this has to be repeated every time one of her little girls gets a new passport and bear in mind a child's passport only lasts for three years every time she's got to get a new declaration because the old one is invalid as if Jer wasn't still dead or something like it's it is just we had another email about passports I'll get it to you later on another crazy story about passports and a lovely email from, is it Sarah is her name? Yeah, Sarah. Lovely email to the show with some lovely comments about about the show from Sarah. I'll get to that too a bit later. It's just, lads, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Actually, speaking of if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. I wonder what people think. I haven't made any reference to it so far. I wonder, though, what people think of the whole Gulfgate outcome. The papers have a various twists on it this morning. The mail says all charges are dropped in the Golfgate trial and that the judge says very good people lost very good jobs. The Star also reports on it. Golfgate 4 gets charges thrown out of court. Irish Independent, coalition silent on Golfgate politicians. Yeah. And it's this in all the papers this morning. The Golfgate. I remember the story broke yesterday afternoon and I just shook my head and rolled my eyes and goes oh god what a country can we just talk the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group call in person or call them now they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie the Premier League Live, powered by Talk Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at 96fm.ie. The weekend fixtures take a two-week break, so we're back Saturday, February 12th, with some cracking games. The relegation battle is on, and the fight for top four has just begun. The Premier League Live. With now, join in the experience with a Now Sports or Sports Extra membership. Listen every Saturday, exclusively online at 96fm.ie, or download the Cork. 96FM app. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 83 396 On Cork's 96FM. I just want to mention quickly something happening on the programme next week. We have a €350 one-for-all voucher to give away on the Opinion Line every day next week in association with our friends at Board Gosh Energy. Tell you more about that on Monday, obviously. But uh, next week, every day, a €350, one-for-all voucher, with thanks to Borgash Energy. More on that, obviously, Monday. 0818 96 96 96. The trial has been continuing 
in Waterford of James Brady, the 28-year-old man accused of the murder of Timmy Howrahan in Cork in October of 2019. As we heard yesterday, there is a second man also on trial, but we're not allowed to name him or talk about him at this point, just to note that he is on trial. Owen Dalton is covering the story for us. Uh, Owen, the next day or yesterday, we met some initial witnesses, bystanders or eyewitnesses on the night, wasn't it? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, that's right. Um, there was three first responders, I suppose you could call them. Good Samaritans is how the court described them. Uh, they were people who had spotted a fire in the that so-called tented village that had uh, grown off Mardike Walk uh, in around October 2019 in Cork City. And uh, the first people that had spotted this fire, which had seemingly been started um, as part of this uh as part of this, this fatal incident with which uh, Timmy Herron lost his life, um, it was a couple who were coming back from a, a party in Sunday as well. Uh, it was a Kieran Stanley and his wife, Nicole Schrock Stanley. Um, they were giving evidence via video link from Germany where they now live. And uh, they had noticed the fire and they pulled in their car to investigate and... and uh, they detailed, I suppose, what was supposedly quite quite gruesome evidence, really. Um, uh, Kieran Stanley said he could hear gurgling when he entered the park, and that was when he first realised that there was a person lying on the ground, which, of course, turned out to be Timmy Harahan. He said he had never seen anything like it, and that um, Mr. Harahan was obviously very badly beaten, with his eyes just completely swollen up. Um, and uh, they... Uh, for Nicole Schrock Stanley, she became quite emotional as she finished giving her evidence, as, as she said it was it was clear this man was uh, set to lose his life, and the they had appealed for help from others uh, who came into the park, but um, they had left. Essentially, they had just walked away, um, and uh, there was another man who came on the scene. He was a uh, Kieran Duggan from Ballin College. Uh, he was on his way into Cork City Centre that night to collect his parents from the pub um, and he had travelled down that, I suppose, down the western road, down into the city. He had again, he had spotted there was something amiss. He had pulled in his car to investigate and he g- gave a detailed description to the court of what he had seen. And, you know, he felt the fire was maybe about six foot in diameter and there was a concern that it, it was going to set fire to a tree in the in that field and uh, that there, it could potentially, uh, if there was anyone asleep in one of the tents, then it could cause further damage. Um, but he explained that there was just blood all over the ground and that Mr. Heron's head itself was in a pool of blood. Um, he described what a recess into the ground where Mr. Heron's head lay and Kieran Stanley had said this was almost as if he head had been nearly pushed into the ground oh, with such force. It, it was quite upsetting and quite quite gruesome really and uh, and, and it had been forewarned if you like uh, at the day prior and, and I, I, as I was saying to you yesterday it did. It, 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 did, it did lead to one juror actually pulling out after she had been sworn in because she felt that you know, the evidence could be too much over the, the coming days um, but they, they like the for, for both uh, men as, as Nicole Truck Stanley had gone to um, Try to get the tent away from the the tent that was that was going on fire. I was trying to make sure that that didn't go any further. 
for then the two other men, Kieran Duggan and Kieran Stanley, um, they were trying to figure out if resuscitation uh, would be uh, would be useful, and they they decided against it as they weren't sure if it would help or hinder Kimi Harran, and so they called emergency services as they were kneeling beside him, and uh, and the court heard a phone call of. Kieran Duggan bringing emergency services where he asked for an ambulance and asked for the fire brigade and uh, and they came on the scene shortly after and as we know Timmy Ireland was brought then to hospital where he later died and and a post-mortem was later carried out and uh, and found that he had suffered lung hemorrhaging uh, due to blunt force as well as head and facial trauma and you know I suppose to bring it back then this is all coming part in, uh, as part of a murder trial where the state's case is that James Brady uh, is, he took part in the assault on Timmy Howerhan alongside that other man who cannot be named for legal reasons. Um, but Miss Justice Deirdre Murphy, who is presiding over the case, you know, she thanked um, the three witnesses for their help and uh, she made a real point of saying that their actions were the only pinpoint of light in what was a very dark event overall and that it was comforting to know there are still people that were willing to go to the assistance of strangers. Okay. Owen, a case continues today and into next week. You said two to three weeks, they they estimate. um, Mm. And I, I, I imagine more painful evidence to come. So thank you for being with us on The Opinion. That's Owen Dalton as a freelance reporter based in Waterford covering the trial of James Brady, aged 28, and another man who we can't name for the murder of Timothy Howrahan in October of 2019. 0818969696 uh, on the passport stuff and other such bureaucratic nightmares that the state will tie people up in. PJ, recently a deceased relative got a call to jury service. I sent back a form stating the same, stating that he was deceased. A letter came back addressed to the deceased person stating he doesn't have to attend on this occasion. (sighs) My husband died four years ago and he died within 10 days of diagnosis. I had to fill out a form and one of the questions was, have you cohabited with anyone in the past six weeks? You're dealing with grief and you have to put up with this. Now on Susan's specific issue with regard to the declaration that Pujar is still dead, effectively, I was in a similar situation. I was told to keep the form from the first appointment to show instead of the declaration However, I was told to bring the children's birth certificate, which they stamped. Not sure why they stamp an official document. I was told at the time that the need for the proof of declaration was to prove the mother still had custody of the children. It just makes absolutely no... And you know, the, the more they try to explain it, the less sense it actually makes. Seriously. Little event taking place... Well, a big event, not a little event. This Saturday, the 5th of February, down at the Black Market, which is a fabulous place down there on Monaghan Road. It's in aid of the Orphans of Belarus and organised by Paul McCarthy. It's a firewalking event. I've been at one of these things uh, a couple of years ago for, I think it might have been the Samaritans, and I, I hosted it, emceed it for them. But it's mad. It's a great event. Uh, they've got one tomorrow, half four, at the Black Market Cork, and it's all in aid of the Orphans of Belarus. Um, 
good luck with that. Good luck with that. 0818-969696. On the subject of money and the money we spend, do you know the money that they give to Stephen Donnelly and the money they gave to Robert Watt? Oh, this civil servant who's now being paid more than the Taoiseach and pretty much more than the president, I think, at this stage. One particular civil servant, Mr. Watt, he's in the Department of Health. He's now on over 300 grand a year. Uh, actually, in Richard Chambers' book about the pandemic, uh, there's in some interesting references to, to Robert Roth, but that, that's just to, by the by, he's earning over 300 grand a year now. Caller says if they took some, oh, sorry, he's being paid over 300 grand a year. If they took some of the money away from Stephen Donnelly and Robert Watt and put it towards bringing in experts from America or the UK or Germany and do a clinic for the kids in Kerry who were treated by CAMS, then they'd be practicing what they preach and that you get what you pay for, which makes sense. Now, during the week, we were contacted by listeners who were wanting to know about helicopter activity over the city. A lot of people might have thought it was something to do with the Russian naval exercises, but in fact, it was a search for a missing person. And it's something that is all too common these days. Katrina Toomey of the Penny Dinners joins me. And Katrina, this is uncomfortably common uh, and family, yes. you know, for, for for over the city to hear that helicopter at night. Yes, it is. And... Um like we have so many tragedies now that um, that we kind of all, we, I think the people on the ground sit up and take notice, but we need our government now to take notice that mental health and suicide, you know, are very, very big issues. Yeah. And we've we've seen it like in the past number of years, how it's growing all the time and how difficult and hard it is for the families that are there. And I suppose I, I'm just thinking that if somebody if somebody is missing and the family go to the guards, the guards are on it immediately and they go above and beyond. They're really very good at what they do in this area. Mm. Absolutely brilliant. You also have the firefighters who do the exact same thing. They're, they're brilliant. But here on our doorstep as well, we have another service. They're 21 years in existence. They're the Cork City Missing Persons Search and Recovery. Yeah. And the reason I mention it is I saw them years ago on the river one cold Christmas morning and it broke my heart like to see them and to see the family that were standing along the, the, the riverbank looking, you know, to see were they after locating their, their loved one who was missing for a little while. But I, I think that just to, to let people know that if, if somebody belonging to them goes missing and they have a fear for their safety that if there's also like notified the guards the guards will notify the firefighters yeah. but you can also notify Cork City Missing Persons straight away who will be you know underground within 45 minutes of receiving that call yeah. and there's a very good chance that there's a quick recovery for the family yeah. hopefully it'll be a rescue but if not it's going to be a quick recovery which means the world to families and of course I know that because I've seen it happen you know and uh, uh, they did it for one of our volunteers and in no time at all yeah. they found our volunteer which made a huge difference to yeah. the family I've, and I've everybody else. I've spoken to them a few times and they, they tend not to 
publicise themselves. They tend no. not to, you know, go looking for the limelight ever, and they just continue no. their amazing work. You know. They do, and they they are amazing. And just yesterday, Michael McGrath was onto them to, you know, that that they were looking for a space all along, and they got a space. But there was a few things happening. Okay. But Michael McGrath and City Council kind of kicked into yesterday, and no. That's the problem that's there is being sorted. Oh, I'm delighted so, for them because they will, spoke to me about that. They will have a place. Oh, that's brilliant. And that, that means, because, you know, I, you can't call them an asset, but you can say that for a family that's missing a loved one, a bit of comfort is to have these people looking for them. Mm. And it's, it's you know, it's a bit of hope that they can cling to. But even if at the end of the day, it, you know, it's a recovery it still means that they're brought home to a loved one yeah. and a loved one can see them rather than being missing for a long time. And it's the difference between an open coffin and a closed coffin. It's as simple as that. And a loved one always wants to see their loved one again. Yeah. So I would, you know, I think we have to look at how we deal with it because it's so prevalent. No, we have so many people that are missing and we have to look at how we deal with it. The Gardaí are excellent. The firefighters are excellent. But, also, the family can notify Cork City missing persons yeah. who will be on it straight away to offer support, advice and a search and look and hopefully that there's a very, very quick recovery for the family because the the, the heartbreak, the, the despair that that family are feeling, the fear that's in that family yeah. is awful. And, you know th- and anything that can take that away has to be a help. The other thing too is, and you said they'll they'll jump on it within within half an hour, and and they'll be yeah. on it within half an hour, and they that's will. the best bit. And you know, sometimes people might say, "Ah, sure, look, he's only missing a few hours, or she's only gone a few hours." They'll come Doesn't home. Doesn't matter. I couldn't. Yeah. Be, you know, they don't care if the you just no. haven't seen the person in two hours. They'll be out and no. they'll do. And if they'll, it if it turns exactly. out that all the person did was go for a long walk, that's fine. All the better. All the better. They'll be happy with that. They yeah. don't mind doing it. They'll go straight out, you know. Yeah. And uh, like I, I just have seen so much hurt and so much pain out there. And I, I've seen, you know, when, when these lads step in to support, you know, the Gardaí and the firefighters, and the other way around because the the Gardaí and the firefighters are brilliant with Cork City missing persons as well. But it's just that the families should know that there's. Do you know, PJ, if one of mine went missing in the morning, I'd imagine I'd call everybody in the whole world that I know. Yeah, you would. Just to find them. I really would. Mm-hmm. I, I'd plead and beg and implore of everyone, you know, that knows me to, to help me to find them and stuff. And I imagine each family is feeling, would feel that f- feel, you know, that feeling, yeah. that fear, that, that, that pain, and they would do it too. And um, I, I just feel like that families know because of the, and of course the government sh- should be looking into mental health and suicide as well and plowing, you know, resources in, into these services yeah. and put them there. Did they, they get any funding? Hurting. No, Cork City persons don't. No, they just rely on the, the public, the generosity of people, people that do things for them. They don't. Is there a number and, you know, that people can call if they need them? All they have to do is Google Cork City Missing Persons Search and Recovery. And each guard station should have a flyer at their number as well that they can, you know, that they're... Oh. 
between his lines seems to have dropped off there. Yeah, Cork City missing persons search and recovery. They will go out within a half an hour or an hour, and they'll go out and they'll gather whatever volunteer they need, and they'll and they'll find if they can, they'll find the person. You're there, Katrina. Yeah, yeah, they'll be on. The, I'm here. They'll yeah. be on the streets within a half an hour. Yeah, they will, and they'll search for your loved one, and hopefully. As you say, if the person has just gone away, you know, to, to calm down or they need a walk or, or, you know, breath of air and, you know, that it's a rescue rather than a recovery. But if it does turn out to be a recovery, let it be sooner rather than later for the families that are suffering greatly. Okay. There's a guy called Chris O'Donovan and I, I have a number. Yes. I'm not too sure if I'm able to give that out. We will check uh, to see if we can. There is, yes, you can. I you can, can give that number, number out. out yeah. All right, I'll, I'll do that, Katrina. You can, you can. I'll do that, and thank you very much. You can give Chris's number out. And, and, thank, and thanks, thank thanks, you very Peter, much, Katrina. Because fact, I, I, I know loads of people are worried. They really are. It's the climate we're in now at the minute, and so many people are hurting. That desperation is creeping all over the land for people, and unfortunately, we're losing them. And. Yeah. Shouldn't be happening. No, it shouldn't. Katrina, thank you very much. Katrina, to me, 0818 96 96 96. Yes, if you need to contact them about anybody that you're worried about at any time, day or night, you can call Chris. The number is 087 696 1885. 087 696 1885. And they will put whatever resources they have at their disposal, they'll put them in place for you within an hour and they'll try to find the person you're concerned about. Actually, it's it's worth remembering something that they achieved last year. There was a man missing from Crosshaven. Was it 10 years he was missing? Was it uh, His name was Barry. He was missing from Crosshaven for 10 years or more and these lads were out on a training exercise using some new equipment, practicing with some new equipment that they just got in that general area and they noticed something in the water and it led to closure for the family many, many years later. They're just brilliant at what they do. They have a great Facebook page as well. Uh, There's also a number on their Facebook page uh, another number, 0879609885. Uh, 0879609885. Okay. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The Two Grand Minute. Listen to play at 7.40 and 8.40 every day. Answer 10 questions to claim all that cash. Stacking up the cash. Cash! Cash! The Two Grand Minute. On Casey and Ross in the morning. Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96 FM. Now, the great theatre company Cork Durka are heading off to the States to present a, a production um, by Ender Walsh. Now, we've all heard of Ender Walsh and the great work that he's done over the years. Was it Disco Pigs was his, his really big one. 
Um, but the Corkadurka are off to New York. Maura O'Keefe is an independent producer. Maura, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Good, and this is great news. But tell me about the programme. It's called, or the show, it's called The Same, about two women with the same name. It's a strange one. That's right. It is a strange one. And those of us, and there are many, because Enda Walsh is uh, quite the quite the phenomenon in Irish theatre and has been in Cork theatre for a long time. Um, they, it's about two two women of the same name who meet and gradually realise they are the same person. The, and it's a, an absolutely beautiful play. It's about it's about loneliness and it's about loss and it's about life and it's about time. And it's played by two amazing Cork actors, Catherine Walsh and Eileen Walsh, who are also, as we know, in real life sisters. Um, it premiered in Cork, actually, in the prison, the old prison, about, was it three years ago, four years ago? Mm-hmm. And we've been trying since to make sure that it has a future life. It went on, it played at the Galway International Arts Festival two years ago. Mm-hmm. And it was supposed to go to New York last year, but um, the old COVID pandemic yeah. put paid to that. But it's been a, a sort of great journey and we're just delighted now to be in New York next week in the new Irish Arts Centre, um, which just opened in November. So it's the first big theatre piece in there. So it's a real honour for Kirkadurka and for Cork. Uh, as Cork how is something like this achieved, Maura? How, how do you pitch a, a programme like this to, to a, a, something like that? Well, fantastically, with Kirk Durka's work, and in this instance with Enda, it because it was not a big, you know, a big outdoor site-specific project that you know couldn't really travel well. It's really compact, and I've been working with a lot of international producers and presenters over the years, and I had seen. I've been a fan of Kirk Durka's for a long time. I kind of grew up in theatre in Cork and I'm an old friend of Enda's and Pat's and so um, I'd come to see it and I just loved it so much and have been talking with Pat Kiernan, the artistry director of the company and of the show. Um, we've been talking about it since then and the Irish Arts Centre in New York is very committed to contemporary Irish work and Enda has a huge name in New York and so as soon as I saw it, I felt it was absolutely the right fit for the Irish Arts Centre and spoke with Enda and with Pat and with the Irish Arts Centre people who, who come over a lot and they stay very connected to Irish theatre. So um, it was really just about kind of the luck of it was the right size mm. project and show to fit in there. And then it uh, just took a lot of fundraising and wrangling and organising and with the support of Culture Ireland, the, which is the government agency that helps Irish artists and, and Irish artwork get out of Ireland. Um, that's a hugely, hugely important part of it. It wouldn't be affordable otherwise. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's... it's And also, it, I mean, it's mostly it is an absolutely magnificent production, magnificent play, and yeah. with two of the best actors in Ireland. Yeah, well, I'm it, biased, and, I know, and, but it's... <laughs> and, and right to you. So, of course, getting into the arts, that Irish Arts Centre, that's that could just be the door opener for massive success in the States because this place gets spotted. We would, yeah, that's right. And we would hope so. And also because it was getting quite a good run there, we're doing three weeks there, yeah. which means it really, there, there is a real opportunity for, you know, 
getting it reviewed, getting other European and and US presenters and producers to to come and see it. And I've been working with an. Uh, with my colleague based in the States, Edie Dimas, who herself worked in Cork in theatre for many years um, and is one of Enda's and Enda Pat's peers as well. She worked with Graffiti Theatre Company mm-hmm. back in the day in the 90s in Cork. So she's back in the States now and she and I are working together to try and get interest from other presenters, um, you know, in Washington, Chicago, Boston. And so we have we have high hopes, but often with international touring it's a it can be a long slow process and then suddenly that classic you know an overnight success after 10 years after 10 years exactly exactly yeah. well you know i i have i don't ever read about it i never had the opportunity to see it unfortunately so i look forward mm. to seeing it when it, when it next comes back to this part of the world when but it next yeah every success I was, we really want to bring it back yeah. bring it back at some point in the next couple of years so because yeah. i think it's a it's a beautiful piece of theater yeah. every success to the with with the uh, the us run the new york run uh, for corkadorka bringing Enda Walsh's play The Same to the Irish Arts Centre in New York for three weeks. It's a massive achievement to get into that particular centre. And it could be a huge opportunity. to They could end up touring America with this. This is how this stuff works. It's called Getting Your Shot and Taking It. It's a beautiful play. I've, I've only ever read about it. It's a gorgeous story and inc- powerfully acted. And well, Really well put together. And anything, anything, anyway that Enda Walsh ever touched tends to turn to gold. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast or on 96FM.ie the lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. You're just going through some of the ideas that are on the table. They're all talk about it in the news this morning about how they're going to try and cut the cost of living for people. Leo Bradkar really seems enthusiastic about this. You could see this 100 euro credit on the ESP or gas or energy bills in general. That could be doubled if what we're reading is to be believed. But other things, you hear yesterday where the application form for or the application fee for the leaving cert, that's been waived for this year. Other stuff that's on the table would be and that there's a push, an opposition push for the cutting of VAT rates on electricity and gas and other such utilities. It's currently VAT uh, is 13.5% on your energy bill. I mean, it, they could easily drop that. There are VAT rates around Europe are much lower than that. They could easily drop that if they wanted to. Um, Sinn Féin and the Labour Party are calling for a three-year forced freeze on rents. Uh, the fuel allowance that's going to last longer, they're saying. But if you look at the the petrol pumps, I, I put some petrol in the car yesterday morning, and I put one seventy five per liter for unleaded petrol right now. Uh, last year, 
last year the same petrol was costing me 130 something per litre now it's 170 something per litre it's gone up a third and remember for every litre of diesel or petrol that you put into your car over half the cost of it over a euro is going to the government so they could cut that couldn't they oh no no the cat the Green Party say the cat actually I see where there was a row between Fine Gael and the Green Party because at one point what was on the table according to the papers was that they would cut car tax for the year motor tax that they would either cut it or do away with it or I don't know um, but the Green Party no 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 can't do that oh god no can't do that Green Party What would, how, how do you think they would cut the cost of living? Now, look, we'll get all the usual stuff will come in, like, oh, cut their pay and give it back. Not that. Something creative, right? Is there some way that you think they could cut the cost of living for ordinary folks? Like, as Leo says in the news there, the squeeze middle. The people who pay for everything and benefit from very little. How could you cost, you know, cut their cost of living? Like, what about the, the, the price of petrol and diesel. What about that? Like, I, I personally would say to them, lads, take 50 cents of your own taxes off every litre of petrol or diesel, or even 30 cents, even put it back, do something, you know, or cut the vat on the electricity and the gas just for a year so people can get through this crisis. Of course, if you do that, right, if you do that, it cuts down on the nation's tax take and we end up with a, a problem then because we've got no money coming in do you know your idea is welcome 083 396 96 96 how do you think they could cut the cost of living for everybody not just for the most vulnerable and they are the most important but yeah anybody now even people earning a half decent average industrial wage are are struggling with the cost of living now do you know um, particularly if they're renting somewhere. How do you think we might cut the cost of living? Any ideas? 0818 96 96 96. Oh, uh, I'm reminded, this comes in, a reminder to me, that today is the birthday of Countess Markiewicz. It's a day that we honour her strength and the empowering nature of what she did and what she stood for. And uh, hashtag counterin is trending on the uh, birthday of Countess Markiewicz. But your ideas on how we might cut the cost of living for ordinary folk to 0818 96 96 96. What is paint club? It seems like a simple idea uh, that is... So simple you'd never think of it, but Sinead McCarthy, maybe you tell us more about it from paintclub.ie. What is it? Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Um, Paint Club is the best crack you're ever going to come across. Um, It's basically bringing paint creativity into a social scene, taking the pressure off, trying to make it perfect, where we kind of go into events, we go into pubs, we go into hotels, we go into private corporate events and basically set up everything so they don't have to worry about a thing. They come in with their hands in their pockets and sit down and we do step by step and by the time they go out, they have a masterpiece that they never thought they'd have. So, so 99, 99% of them have never painted before. You literally <laughs> walk into a pub, 
or some yep. other place or a gar club or somewhere and you set yep. up a few easels and you hand out a load of paint and say, right lads, let's paint. Yeah. Well, not gar clubs. We try and be nice, nice scene, a kind of a nice social scene. So right. at the moment in Cork, it's um, Crawford and Co and Gaia. But we've often done it in the Montanati and we've done hen parties in the Imperial and Kingsley Hotel have been on to us now. They're interested in, because we might do like uh, hen parties and oh, cool. private, like corporate team bonding and social and sports and social and right. stuff like that. So they come in. Um, so we kind of have two lines. We have the one that is the public one, which is mostly Crawford and Co and Gaia, yeah. where they come in, they buy the tickets online, and they come in with their friends or whatever, and we have the table set up and stuff like that, and they just have the crack and the laugh and creativity. And then we have the corporate side of things, where they, um, it's like the company gets onto us, we set it up, everything sorted out, and right. they come in and again they have the crack. Because I suppose <laughs> there's loads of people out there who are. I was say, kind of interested in art or, or you see a nice painting that is beautiful I'd love to do that but they'd be afraid of their life to even try for fear they make an idiot of themselves yeah and you know what there's plenty now just go in and have that attitude throughout it all and they still have the crack it's funny like because we have couples um, like Cork is very good actually I must say a lot of males come to it um, they're not a bit shy about doing it but sometimes it's the girl will be dragging him in to do it and he ends up having the best time do you know what I mean so um, it's kind of for everyone so they and we also have online as well for people that can't get to pubs or anything like that it's kind mm. of they can do it in the comfort of their home mm. um, there's like you can have a gang in your house and have it on screen and stuff like that so we have the online which again is for corporate or public so you can come in as a public person buy a ticket online and you have a pre-recorded video of our tutorials step by step again and then the corporate is more sometimes to be on Zoom or anything like that yes. and we'll do step by step again so it's for everyone we've done global so we've companies all over the world so it's fantastic why, why is there such an interest in having a go I mean there's a like you're an art therapist so you understand a bit about this why, why are people so att- attracted to just trying art well, I'd like to think I'm an art therapist, but I'm an artist. I wanted to do therapy, but I actually realised I'm doing it through this. Yeah. Um, so basically, I think, you know, people kind of interested in just having the fun part of it. But what we really noticed when we had to go online because of COVID, that's when we really realised the therapy side of it. Because in the last two years, the emails, the messages we've gotten off people saying that it's literally saved their sanity, or especially older people, uh, you know, because they're in their houses and stuff like that, it's something to occupy them. Um, they've, some people have realised that they actually have a talent that they never did. So it is so therapeutic. And even, you could see it even if you went into the likes of Mr. Price or any of these places. Mm. Um, the, art, the art shelves were empty. Yeah. Everyone turned to craft. Everyone turned to art. It was such an influx. I, I'm following a few groups on Facebook with creativity and craft and stuff like that and their sales went through the roof over the last year because people are so interested and so that proves like that's what they turn to you know what I mean they need the creativity the the, the older people you you were saying also you mentioned like hen hen parties like what would they what would they paint at a hen party the bridegroom? Well, not, for, not what you're thinking now, PJ. No, 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 no. no, no. I mean, the bridegroom, maybe, or, or, or exes, or what? No, no, no. What we do is we basically, we'll paint the picture. And we have, like, we've over 200 paintings to pick from. So when someone gets through to us, 
Um, we'll send them a selection of paintings. They might even have an idea of what they want. Sometimes they might have a specific one that we might actually paint for them. And literally it's set up, you come in and you then teach them step by step and you can kind of help them. When you're in person, you can physically help them, but um, online, if, you know, they just work away themselves and you can kind of guide them as well. Right. So, I have this, I'm just fascinated by the, uh, the, the idea of, of a hen party because, you know, you see them yeah. around town and yeah. they're just out for yeah. the crack and out for the laugh and whatever and they're yeah. wearing strange sashes and and it, well, it, it just <laughs> seems like an interesting place where to put an easel and some paint an interesting group I know I know you would think like but I actually what we find is a lot of the hen parties start early so we kind of catch them at the more sober side of things ah. uh, <laughs> so what would they normally would have like a Prosecco breakfast or they'd have a few Proseccos and drink away while we're doing the event um, so we'd catch them kind of early in the day I have to say like I don't know what goes on during the night and that's none of my business <laughs> So, but they do they do tend to come out with fabulous paintings anyway and they have a memory then of the day which is great as well just <laughs> <laughs> thinking Prosecco and paints like <laughs> yeah yeah um, or kind of public ones then a lot of them be evening time now so you would have a few people having a few drinks and you, it's an awful thing to say but a lot of people do much better after a few drinks because <laughs> they, their innovations are kind of a bit more down so they're looser with the paintbrush and a bit more expressionist <laughs> and then like what would inspire the picture that people would do I mean do, do, you, do you say people you know, come up with whatever's in your own head or well, a lot of time, because we have so many paintings, we will definitely kind of take reference pictures or we'll get suggestions off um, our own customers sometimes. Um, we try and kind of vary it from anything from landscape to animals to like kind of funky looking art to kind of more traditional. We kind of try and gauge everyone because what we've kind of found is you like... You could do one painting and think it's amazing and that everyone's going to go for that and then it might not be, you know, as popular as the next one. That might be a very simple one and then you think you're doing them too simple and you make them... So they, it, it's kind of across the board. Everyone is so varied. It's amazing. And literally you just give them the, give them the easel, give them the paints, yep. give them an idea and away you go. Wow. Well, the idea, like, as I said, it would be one painting for an event, so they'll all kind of have the same painting going out the door, but they um, basically they never have the same painting because everyone paints so differently. Yeah. And we always are kind of motto at the start of the evening is to make sure they know this process where they will start off kind of cocky. They'll think they're fantastic. They'll be slapping on the paint. And then there's always, we call it, I feel crap in the middle. You kind of have this um, moment of like, oh, God, why am I here? I'm embarrassed and the whole lot. But we like assure them that it's the process and we kind of go through it and walk through it. And they're always happy. They're always delighted with themselves. (laughs) I've never had a negative response anyway. So if anybody wants to try this out, there's a website, paintclub.ie. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Or even if they're checking out Instagram or anything like that, it's hashtag hashtag paintclubhq as well. They can kind of go through that as well. Sounds like fun. It is. It's great crack. Definitely try it once. We have found that if you try it once, they keep coming back. We have such loyal customers. It's amazing. All right, Sinead. Good luck with everything Uh, at Paint Club. Paint Club, hon! It doesn't have the same ring as Prosecco, hon, but hey, listen, they're trying it. Can you imagine? I just have this idea in my head of a hen party, right? <laughs> With paints, a bottle of Prosecco in one hand and a paintbrush in the other. What would they paint? What would they paint? 
0818-969696. Ellie says, cut the cost of living by packing up and moving abroad. (laughs) The other one, how to cut the cost of living, get rid of the Green Party. Job done. I'm no economist, says Tom, but the one thing that's common on everything we buy is VAT. So would it not make sense to reduce the VAT? John says, give up the government jet and travel with Ryanair. Put the savings back into the economy. And there's a few of them. I'll read Morris's one there in just a sec. We're looking for your ideas as to how they might cut the cost of living because the government have realised, ding, ding moment for them, like that people are struggling to pay their bills. Even people in good jobs with good incomes are being squeezed dry, as the, the Daily Mail puts it today. Like, the average house price has gone up, stamps are gone up. We were doing this last week, um, ordinary grocery items are gone up. And fuel has gone through the roof, energy has gone through the roof. How would you bring those prices down? How would you cut the cost of living? 0818 96 96 96. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 On Quartz 96 FM. So today is World Cancer Day, the 4th of February. And of course, in May, we'll have another... Uh, Corks 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon to raise funds for cancer and Breakthrough Cancer Research who are one of our charity partners on that have an incredible discovery that they're working on at the moment to do with the fight against cancer but I'm joined first by Professor Seamus O'Reilly consultant oncologist Seamus good morning Good morning thank you very much for having us on Delighted I, I see that on this today World Cancer Day there's so much concern out there 
about the effect of pandemic of the pandemic on treatment of cancer in that you you and your colleagues are very worried about the delays in cancer treatment. Yes, so the the European Cancer Organization have a webinar today at 11 o'clock and they have calculated that a a million cases of cancer were undiagnosed as a result of the pandemic last year. So we're concerned in our community that there are also patients with undiagnosed cancer. I mean, people were reluctant to come to hospital uh, and sometimes they were had difficulty accessing uh, care. Our screening programs had shut down for a period of time as well. So uh, there's a, a, a significant concern among in the cancer treating community and in society about this matter. And uh, uh, but obviously, it, it, uh, we can't afford to admire the problem. It's what we do with the problem now. How we uh, have catch up programs in our in our hospitals uh, and also encourage people to to uh, 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 come if they've got symptoms as uh, uh, Maria Fleming, the cancer survivor was on on TV this morning and she had a a wise word and she said, don't sit on your worry. So if if someone is out there and they're concerned that something is wrong, then come for attention. Her story highlights that uh, the smaller a cancer is, the less treatment it needs, the better the outcome, the better the survivorship. So uh, time is everything. and, uh, And if you are concerned, please contact your GP, uh, seek medical attention. Don't sit on your worry, as she says. Are you concerned, Seamus, that a lot of people might have done exactly that over the last two years purely for fear of picking up COVID? Oh, yes, and we're still seeing COVID anxiety in patients and families, um, fear of coming in for medical attention, fear of getting scans done, fear of exposure to hospitals. It's it's very real. I mean, I'm in a clinic at the moment and the first patient, uh, uh, she times her scans to the peaks of the COVID pandemic. So if the peaks are high, she defers the scans until the, until the peaks have passed. So I think that it's a, it's a very, uh, it's very reflective of what we're seeing in our, in our patients uh, yeah. and their concerns about COVID-19. Yeah. Now you're of course co-chair also of Cork Arc, which is another one of our Radiothon partners in May. How have you been doing at Arc in the last couple of years? Has it been tough? Very tough. Um, so, but not as tough as it has been for the patients and their families. Yeah. Uh, cancer is a lone, cancer is a lonely illness, and we know that uh, uh, mental health issues are magnified by the pandemic, and and that makes cancer survival a lot worse. It makes quality of survival worse. So we're seeing more referrals now, uh, particularly at the end of last year, uh, with patients with mental distress. Uh, many of my my patients have have children who with special needs, and the services for them have been challenging to provide during the pandemic. And uh, so, the level of distress, psychological distress that we're seeing in our clinics among patients, is significant. And I, I think they 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 also they, their distress is magnified by our services. They where things are cancelled because of short staffed or COVID related. Uh, 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 um, it challenges. I, I think also we had a significant waiting list before the pandemic, 600,000 people, and now it's a million. So uh, there's it, it, the, everybody is at the end of their tether now. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and we talk about these statistics, but, but statistics are human beings with the tears wiped away. There's a huge uh, uh, a suffering associated with them. And it's not just limited to cancer. Cancer doesn't have a monopoly on suffering. Uh, we have children who need time-dependent spinal surgery or cleft palate surgery, where it's, it's, it's life-changing for them and, and changing in terms of their development as people. And um, so I think now is the time that we need to look at how we do things in healthcare and make this the disruption of the pandemic, translate that into transformative care to make the system more fit for purpose for our community.
I must say that's an incredible description you've just used, Seamus. Statistics are just human beings with the tears wiped away. That's it's very real, unfortunately. That's quite a remarkable choice of words, and thank you for it. I will share that with my listeners many, many times. It's profound. So I know you need to leave us, and I'll talk then to to Orla. You've got other thing, other places to be, and I appreciate that, Seamus. Finally, to anyone who has maybe concerns but has been holding yeah. back, contact your doctor. Start the process. Get in there. Don't sit on your worry. And I think, and I would also say that there's. Today's World Cancer Day, today is a time of great hope for patients yeah. with cancer. Our cancer survival has improved dramatically in the last two decades. Orla is going to talk to you about a, a development, um, and she'd be too modest to say that her father, who, whose anniversary, 10th anniversary is, is this month, was the inspiration for, for this uh, 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 for this project. The uh, late Professor Jerry O'Sullivan of UCC was an oh, inspirational yeah. figure, and it, it's wonderful to see his a vision now uh, translated into cancer care in our community. Um, we have patients coming in today who are starting on a, on a trial that he had instigated. And, uh, and, and, and so it's wonderful to see his vision translate into, into cancer care in our community. That's a tremendous legacy. Okay, Seamus, thank you for being with us. I'll let you drop off the call there. Professor Seamus O'Reilly, consultant, medical oncologist, and co-chair of Cork. Arc. And I'll move to you now, Orla. Orla Dolan from Breakthrough Cancer Research, another one of our charity partners on Radiothon uh, every May. And we talk many times and have done many times, Orla, about the extent on, and the global standard of cancer research that happens here in Cork. But tell me about this exciting new project where is it you're using lithium to get around the... the the resistance to chemotherapy that some cancers pose. Is that it? Or simplify it for me. I'm just a gob on a stick. So tell me what's going on here. <laughs> no, you're getting to the nub of the matter. Um, researchers in UCC that we've been supporting over a number of years and in collaboration actually with, um, with Seamus um, have discovered why certain cancers, particularly those of the gastrointestinal tract, so esophageal, stomach and colorectal cancer, why they sometimes don't respond to chemotherapy. And they discovered that those cancer cells were using, were hijacking a normal process in cells to basically be able to repair and recycle themselves in the presence of the chemotherapy and therefore recover when the chemotherapy is taken away. So be drug resistant. Um, so it's great to understand what that mechanism is. The next thing you need to do is find a way to overcome that. And so they tested a whole load of combinations and found that lithium, when combined with chemotherapy drugs, could actually block those drug-resistant cancer cells from being able to repair and recycle and, and basically make the chemo more effective. Mm. So what's happening now is on foot of research over many, many years, it's now culminated in the the idea of going into clinical trial. And as, as Seamus mentioned, patients are enrolling already or have enrolled already in Cork here. And it's an amazing example of how you take major clinical challenges, which is treatments failing patients, and then you, and the disappointment that comes for their families when treatment hasn't worked and find solutions to overcome that. And yeah. as Seamus rightly said, we've 
you know, we have many, many people who survive cancer nowadays. It's 200,000, but it's not the story for everyone. And research is the way that we're going to meet that cancer burden, even the cancer burden that he spoke about, where more people are going to be diagnosed later. We need new treatments, more of them. And that comes from research and the support of the public for that research. Like, I'm fascinated by, by the lithium element of it. I mean, lithium is as old as time. It's a bit yeah. like discovering. It's a bit like discovering that if you take paracetamol, it'll enhance your chemotherapy. Like it's as old as time. How how was it discovered? How how did was it purely by accident, or was it someone had a theory and worked on it? No, I mean, it was definitely a theory and a a trawling of the literature to look at different types of things that would induce this process that um, I spoke about called autophagy is what the process is that the cells are using. They looked for all these different combinations and they had a reason for thinking that lithium might have a role to play. And it turned out that that just happened to be the best one of all the ones that they tested. So that's the one that went forward. I think what's also important to note about lithium, that if you think about a lot of modern new drugs that are coming out for cancer, they're very, very expensive. Can be, you know, hundreds of thousands, even millions for people to get them. Where lithium is, like you said, a drug that's been around for many years. It's been used for other, it's like repurposing a drug from another disease. And so if, you know, it proves successful out of the trial, it means that we get to patients faster because a lot of that work has been done on lithium already. What's novel here? is you're combining lithium with chemotherapy and you're saying, okay, well, the lithium will block the cell's ability to repair and recycle um, damaged parts by chemo. And the chemo is actually still being effective, but it's the lithium is making it more effective and stopping the cell being able to overcome it. Because, I mean, it's traditionally used as a mood stabilizer, for example. Yeah, the most common thing that people would think of it is for bipolar disorder. That's the most common thing. that. But they have been talking about using it for other um, neurological disorders um, as well. So um, but that means there's a lot of data about that drug already. So, you know, if you're starting from something that's a brand new drug, from to, to take that to market that could be many 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 years where there's a lot of information about patients taking it already so yeah. what they're doing here is saying we're giving you chemo and we're combining with lithium and this is a brand new approach and wow. uh, and if this proves successful like i said it could be globally accessible because it would be less expensive and uh, yeah. so it's an amazing example um of i think like I'm inspired by those researchers who spend so many years um, backing their ideas and their discoveries. And But it's an amazing example of how the support of the public through research, we've been supporting this research for so many years because we believed in it and believed in them. And they've got it out of the lab now into the clinic. And that's a really great place to be. That's, you fant- know? that's fantastic. And of course, colon cancer is one area where, where the belief is it will be effective and it's a very, very common cause of cancer death because it does it, it does resist chemo, doesn't it, colon cancer by its nature? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, the, the GI cancers are the things that make them difficult is they're found late, they've already spread. And then, you know, we just know that certain cancers kind of, some patients, like you're not dealing with one colorectal cancer or one esophageal cancer, they're multiple different types. And some will respond and some won't. And I suppose, you know, this is just one mechanism that they figured out in drug resistance. There might be more. But to me, it's like you identify a problem in the clinic and you find a solution for it. And then you understand what's happening, but then you come up with a game plan to attack it. Mm. And that's what's happened here. And it's happened because 
public support into research for so many years has given them the chance and the space to keep it going yeah. until it got to this point. Talk to me a little more about the, the, the research and the, the various projects that, that go on because, you know, every year at Radiothon we do chat about this and how Cork is now a centre of global excellence in, in cancer research. How, how does Breakthrough... Uh, how do you and your colleagues decide which idea is the one to go with? You must get loads of them. We do. I mean, we never have enough money for all the amazing projects that are there. I suppose if you look at it, um, if you look at uh, what we focus on, a lot of the time it's poorer prognosis cancers, so cancers that have survival rates that are below um, 20% or 25% um, because, you know, if you look at testicular cancer, it's 99% survival. Our prostate is 97, but pancreatic is 9, you know, so you need more alternatives for those. So we invest our money in the cancers that, have, that haven't that have had the same impact and um, so we're looking for projects that are in those areas. We're also looking for projects that have a patient focus. I always say this isn't research for research's sake. This is research to have a new treatment or a new way of um, getting information that patients are going to benefit at the end. Um, you know, it's about discoveries that are going to improve survival. So, so the way we're looking for it is people who have expertise, who understand how patients could potentially benefit, even if it's 5, 10 or 15 years from now, but you understand what are you trying to offer for a patient somewhere down the line, and then is it responding to the need of, um, you know, it, it, of these poor prognosis cancers? And that's kind of the measure by which we decide. And then you have to have phenomenal scientists who are just experts in their field. And we're really blessed that in Cork, we have a lot of them here and they've been working for a long time in this, you know, and always focus on the patient. And I think that's really inspiring. Yeah. Do you know what's great, though, is it's a hundred and I was just looking at it. It's a hundred and ten days, Orla, to the start of the Giving for a Living Radiothon, 110 days today. So the people who are planning coffee mornings and fundraisers and collections in that time and across the weekend when we're on in May, it's brilliant stuff like this they're putting their money into. This is Absolutely. Great. I mean, yeah, and I look at Breakthrough, which is just one of the amazing five partners, we're 100% supported by the generosity of the public. We don't have any funding from anywhere else, only from amazing people like who, those people who support Radiothon. And so it's incredibly important because, like, as you were asking earlier, there's always many more ideas than we have the funding for, but we wouldn't be able to do this or back projects like this without the support of the people of Cork and Radiothon. So we're very, very grateful. And this is a great day in Cork. Um, Phenomenal researchers and clinicians like Seamus have got open a trial where there's something that will be globally significant if it comes through the trial the way we hope it does. And, um, and, and when, you know, will, that's when will we know? When are we likely to know whether the trials are working? That's a really, that's a question you should have been asking Seamus because he's leading the trial. <laughs> but... Uh, um, that'll be a hard one to know because they recruit over a period of time. So, but I don't think it'll be terribly long before they know first whether it's safe, which is the first thing they look, and then more longer term they go look at effectiveness. Then, okay. I mean, your first thing is to do no harm. So, you want you're you're adding two drugs together, so you need to make sure they're safe first. Okay. So that's where they're starting, and that's underway already. So that's okay. amazing. Well, we look forward to talking more about this, and indeed more about your work at the time of Radiothon. And you know, you're banging an open door anytime you need to raise our attention for anything here. Ola Dolan from Breakthrough Cancer Research and before that, Professor Seamus O'Reilly um, consultant oncologist on World Cancer Day and it is 110 days today
to the Corks 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon 2022. So get your ideas and start planning. Can we just talk? Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Corks 96 FM. Guess, isn't it? You know, I'm asking people for ideas with regard to how they might cut the cost of living. And I mentioned uh, the various discussions going on in government. And one of the ideas would be that you'd cut things like motor tax. It's just an idea being tossed around but that you'd cut something like motor tax for 12 months. You'd do away with it or cut up by 50% or whatever. And I happen to, st- and it's in the newspapers, I'm not making it up, that the Green Party are opposed to that. And I said, you know, at a time of crisis, why? I mean, come on, Green Party, like, even a year, even just cut the cost. I'm thinking about people driving ordinary family cars. The tax on an ordinary family car is another bill that a hard-pressed family can do without at the moment. And then I get some fella calling himself, thanks for my own lovely Lee, accusing me of irresponsible use of my public platform for suggesting that it just might be okay to cut somebody's bills for a little while to allow them get through an ex- you call it an existential climate crisis, and there is. But guess what? There's an existential crisis when you can't feed your children. There's an existential crisis when you have a choice between heating and eating. So don't lecture me about what might be a good idea. Thanks. 0818 96 96 96. Do you ever look into your wardrobe? I have loads of ideas coming in, brother. Do you ever look into your wardrobe? I'm probably talking to my female listeners now because you know when 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 lads are going out for a night, right? I tell you what we do: we open the wardrobe, right? We look at the jeans that we had on us at work, right? And we open the wardrobe. Thinking, Is there a shirt that's half clean or a sweater? I get away with grand. Here we go. That's it. That's it, lads. Two points there. We're grand. But I think that women are a bit different because they look at the wardrobe. And they look at the other one, and they look at the three walls of wardrobes, and they go, I have nothing to wear. They look into the wardrobe and go, what happened in here? And that's where Breda O'Connell comes in. Breda, good morning to you. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Good. I'm looking at your Instagram. What the hell is going on in my wardrobe? <laughs> there you are, standing in front of me, what am I going to wear? And, and, and the other half is going, you have... More clothes than could clothe an army. I've nothing to wear. How do you start to sort that mess out? And the reason people end up with this wardrobe bulging with clothes and nothing to wear is because it's done with no logical thought process and it hasn't been done from kind of a place of stopping and thinking, okay, what's going on here? What do I actually need? And people, when they find themselves standing with nothing to wear, the response is to go and buy more things. But all you're doing is adding fuel to the fire. And really, that's why I always say you have to take a step back get back to basics and start with clearing out, completely decluttering and reorganizing your space entirely. And then you can see what you have. I kind of use the analogy of gross versus net income. You think you have all these clothes, but when you weed out all the tax or all the stuff that shouldn't be there in this way, then that's actually your net clothes. That's actually what you do have. So if you cut back 
all of that volume of clothes, the selection that you actually will realistically choose from each day is a much smaller amount. And that's why people have all these clothes and nothing to wear. Yeah, you have a huge wardrobe and yet you wear the same three or four outfits or in some, you know, more for, for work. You tend to rotate the same three you or four do. outfits. And the, you rotate the same three or four outfits for going out. And you mix and match in between yeah. and the rest just sits there gathering dust. That's right. The statistic is that we actually wear about 20% of our clothes 80% of the time. And this is because when you go to the work every morning and you see this chaos and it overwhelms and stresses you and you default back to the adverse commas, the uniform, as you say, the couple of three or four outfits that you wear in rotation because it's easy. It's most easier than trying to, you're not going to stand there on a cold Tuesday morning at 6 or 7 a.m. trying to piece an outfit together and accessorize it the way in your mind's eye you think you will. It's not going to happen if the work isn't done in advance. And that's why I just talk about taking a step back and spending the time. And people will say, I don't have time to reorganize my wardrobe. I don't have time to kind of, you know, sit back and plan it out. Who has time for that? But think about the amount of time that you waste every morning standing at that those word doors and having nothing, thinking you have nothing to wear, the amount of time you waste every day and how much time you could actually claim back by doing the organization in advance and the, and the way that you start your day, you know, it's, it's from such a negative yeah. place starting the day, dealing with this, it gets the day up to a bad start. Um, and it's totally off-putting going to work with that. You're not likely to be inspired and show up as the way you'd like to and the way you know you're capable of doing. Yeah. Do you go by the thing, something like the six-month rule where they say, if you haven't worn that in six months, you're not going to wear it again? Yeah. Well, what I do with my own clients, um, so there's different kind of analogies and different ways you can do it. Um, I like to keep the space as clutter-free as possible. And one of the big tools to do that is store away as much as you possibly can. So the ideal situation, of course, depends on a case-by-case basis, the amount of storage space someone has available. But the ideal scenario is that the world you go to each day only contains clothes that you would realistically wear now within this month as the weather is now, as your lifestyle is now, and anything else should be stored away ideally. Um, And then when you're bringing those clothes out again, so when the season changes and you're switching over, um, when you bring items out, so say we're going to summer now shortly and you'll be pulling out your summer clothes and you pull out items and you hang them back up in the hope of wearing them. And then when it comes around to winter again, you're storing them away if you haven't worn them. And for me, if that happens a cycle of two or three times, then for me, it's time to go. You haven't worn it that many times. You keep pulling it out, hanging it up for the season, putting away, and you haven't worn it. Then you've kind of realized, okay, that's had its day. And it can be quite difficult to know the pieces to lose. Obviously, the straightforward part of it is, you know, any items that are not fit for wear, damaged or faded or worn. But it can be a lot more difficult for women, especially, to part with clothes. Um, there can be emotive attachments to clothes. Um, there's a lot of guilt um, associated with it. You know, you may have paid good money for something. In theory, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, but yet it never goes out your front door. And people have a lot of guilt about this. You know, why am I getting rid of perfectly good clothes? But if you never actually wear them way out the front door, you don't actually have them to begin with, if that makes sense, because they're not a real option. Right. right. So, yeah. So, And in terms of the stuff that you should get rid of, is it? Is it? Yeah. Should you have somebody with you when you're doing that? Like someone. I mean, we can't. Like, you, you, you obviously do this for your clients. But for example, I, I could come home with with three or four shirts. I'm, a, I'm a devil. If I see see a shirt I like, I'll buy it in all the colours it's available in. <laughs> it's just yeah. how it is. And I go um, home, and the wife says, "Right, you need to throw out three or four shirts." Oh no, I can't do that. I love that shirt. I love that shirt. You, you start going. I love that shirt. You haven't worn it in a year and a half, but I still love that shirt. Yeah. So everyone's yeah. got that dilemma. There is, and some people have a, a one in, a one in, one out rule. Lots of um, schools of thought will say, well, if you add something, you should take some out. 
That's not necessarily like people talk about a capsule wardrobe and that denotes a kind of a reduced number of pieces. To me, I like to talk about a cohesive wardrobe as opposed to a capsule wardrobe, because depending on your style, personality and your lifestyle as well, you may not like to or want to function on a reduced number of, say, 30 or 50 pieces. But certainly there should be a cohesion to them. Um, And, you know, when you said you buy a shirt that you like in two or three or four colors, that's actually not a bad thing, because if you find a piece that really works for you, I would encourage people, if you know it's a piece that's going to have a heavy usage and the cost per wear is going to be very low. So that Mm. means that the amount of times you wear it justifies and over justifies the amount of whatever you spend for it. And if it's a piece that really works, then that's actually a good thing to buy it in two or three different colors. Um, but it's just about looking at it kind of, as I say, from a step back and just saying, you know, like the questions that you would ask is, when am I going to wear it? So I, I encourage people when I do a wardrobe reset. So I do it obviously with people in their homes. I come and do a full wardrobe reset with them. But at the moment I have on my website, a little wardrobe reset guide that you can download. And what I did was I recorded a series of little five minute videos to make it really easy and take you through the process. Cause it can be very overwhelming and people are off putting it, but they're thinking to themselves, I'm not going to see this through. I'm just going to create a bigger mess than I had to begin with. So this is to kind of hold your hand and take you through step by step. But you know, it, there are a series of questions that I, that I, provide people with to ask to kind of help you and get rid of that guilt as to why you should keep or get rid of pieces example so like i would say to people okay look at your lifestyle so i would get people to group their lifestyle into categories so before it was much more clear cut pre-covid it would have been a lot more clear cut so many women would have had let's say our work clothes and the going out clothes and then the weekend clothes and it was all in neat little boxes but now our lives have changed post-covid and we have more of a hybrid style of lifestyle and dressing and I find my clients all the time even when I go personal shopping the kind of clothes they're looking for it's very much this blurred lines of things they can wear if they're working from home then they have to pop into the office or maybe they have to pop out in the school or whatever it is so it's a much more hybrid style of dressing so clothing isn't as easy anymore so I get people to look at their kind of their lifestyle categories so let's say you spend maybe 50% of your working week working from home and then the other 50% that is left might be divided into doing the school run errands and then might be popping into the office. How much time do you spend in each of these lifestyle categories and what are the corresponding outfits that go with it? So it's really looking at it in a logical way and treating this like a project like you're anything else because people don't give this the time and attention that it needs. They no. think that that is ridiculous to treat it like a project and look at it in this kind of logical, thought-out way. But what's the result? It's the result that one in four women face every day is this chaos. So it's just about breaking it down, starting from a complete um, thorough clear out with logical steps of doing it, completely reorganizing your space. And lots of people think that that they don't have enough space and that's why they have a chaotic wardrobe. To be honest, it might be part of the story if you're caught for storage space, but it really is only, it's, it's not the whole story. Most of it is disorganization. And that's why I'm big on storage and, you know, optimize the space you have you know, use underbed storage, use the high level storing on top. And I always say to people, if you can't see it, you can't wear it. So the items that you're wanting to use on a daily basis need to be there right in your island. It's like when you're organizing a kitchen, there's like the working triangle or whatever it is in a way that makes sense. So I have my clients have it in a way that makes sense. All of my bottoms are there. All of my tops are there. What's the next logical thing? Now I need shoes. Now I need a jacket and now I need to accessorize. Can I put my hand on the belt or the scarf or the necklace? If it's away in a box tangled up with 20 or 30 other necklaces, you can, you're not going to be pulling it out. So it needs to be where you can see it and it needs to have a feeling of like 
you know, being welcoming. It should be a place that encourages you to go in there and you feel like you want to get dressed and not sort of going, oh, I cannot deal with this this morning. Get me back to my uniform and off I go. Right. So on your Instagram, remind us again what that is. Uh, so um, I'm Brita O'Connell. So my initials is my business name, BOC Image Consulting. Right. So that's my website, bocimageconsulting.ie and the same on my Instagram, BOC Image Consulting. Um, so yeah, there's a little reset guide there now. It's really handy, really easy and you can stop and play and rewind and dip in and out lessons without having to scroll through everything because it's just a little five minute snippet. So it's a nice way. It makes it very doable. All right, listen, good talking to you and I think, do you know, I know most of your colleagues or most of your clients might be, might be female but I, I can tell you as, as a fellow who occasionally opens my wardrobe and goes, is it where like that short? Do you know? <laughs> I can't find anything. Buried. I can't find anything. Buried. Absolutely. Well, buried. now you know what you've got to do for the weekend, don't you? You've oh. got to download your reset guide and get to work. Well, I'm going to the rugby, so I might do it next week. <laughs> Cheers, Breda. <laughs> See ya. Okay, oh, thank bye. you. Bye. This is Breda O'Connell. 0818-969696. B underscore O underscore C underscore image underscore consulting all the underscores to find Brida on Instagram Can we just talk The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With McCarthy Insurance Group Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance CMIG.ie The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM Hear the full show on our app by podcast or on 96FM.ie The lines are live And we're ready to talk Can we just talk? Call 0818 96 96 96 Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 Email opinion at 96fm.ie The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan On Cork's 96 FM I know are very expensive for the ordinary family. But that's a rock on which I'm prepared to perish if I have to, because they are. Uh, Caller says, PJ, the Greens don't want to help us out, but they want us to buy electric vehicles, which are the price of a small house for the cheapest ones. Then you have to put in the charger at home. And something I found out during the week, you know the home chargers? That they all talk, oh, put the home charger in now, life is tickety-boo. I was chatting to an electrician during the week and you have to put in a special switch inside then and you can't charge the car and have a shower at the same time. It's more complicated than that, but that's kind of a bit... But I said this before, things like retrofitting and electric cars and all of this stuff, it's all great. It's all a wonderful ideology and we all know we have to do something about the climate. We do, we, we get that, we're not fools. But it's bloody expensive. It's expensive for ordinary people and ordinary families. Uh, so I'm getting a lot of stuff about that. Uh, Paula then says, get rid of the US seat. Now, there's an idea, Paula. Get rid of the US seat. Now, was that supposed to be temporary about, uh, what, about 100 years ago? US seat, yeah, get rid of US seat. Get rid of the immoral abatement of Defence Force disability pensions. I'm not too sure what that means, Paula, but I know you're ex-army, so... Yeah. Uh, Leave the country or live in a tent. We shouldn't have to budget between lighting and heating and food. You're right there. We have two Department of Health and HSE civil servants on three and four hundred K. And they're 
half useless. Eugene says freewheel in your car when possible. You'll save a fair bit of fuel. Johnny F. Crowley says sack 75% of all the TDs with no payoffs or pension. Majority are stealing a living. Morris, I like this actually. Morris says we can cut the cost of living in this country by bringing in real competition rather than the monopolies that control it and fix prices and telling retailers you're no longer going to buy from them if prices are inflated. Just to give one example, our Sunday newspapers are heading for four euro each for the same old trite rubbish we read every week. Send a letter to the editor of these papers and tell him you're not going to buy their very expensive rag because inflation is too high. Some of the, yeah, some of the Sunday papers are an awful price. And look, you know, journalists need to be paid and proper reporting costs money. That is very true. But an online subscription will actually save you money if you can read it on your phone or read it on your computer. Give up the government jet and travel with Ryanair, says John. And there's a few more. Mr. Gimlet, starve to stay warm or freeze with a full belly. That's some people's choice. It is, and very well put. Starve to stay warm or freeze with a full belly. That is the choice an awful lot of people are making at the moment. Abolish the USC, at the very least, for low-income workers. Yeah, the USC, lads, the USC was... It was a state-imposed pay cut on all of us. They just took it back out of our wallets, and it was the greatest scourge that was ever inflicted on the taxpayer. At the time, they said it was an emergency, and it would only be for a couple of years. No, it was a scourge inflicted on us all, and you get very little back for it. Uh, I, I hate if there's one thing I hate in the history of taxation, it's the USC. Introduce some kind of incentives, says Anto, and guarantees in applying for mortgages. Let people buy houses because paying rent every month uh, is fifteen hundred euro, and you can't get a mortgage then. Let people buy it and pay the mortgages, and abolish the USC for at least low-income workers. How about this one? The average industrial wage they reckon is about forty thousand, probably slightly more. I know, I know, I know. I don't know who, but the average industrial wage about forty thousand. Nobody under forty thousand should be paying USC. How's that for you? How's that for you? Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. At least something we can do is we can watch a bit of telly, because Netflix is still relatively cheap for what you get. For what you get, Netflix is still relatively cheap. Have a listen to this. Yeah, that's a, a trailer, Netflix trailer, for a new show called In From The Cold, starring that, that voice, that man's voice on it, is a fellow called Killian O'Sullivan. Yeah, I know. Who's from Cork. Uh, he plays the CIA head in it. Uh, Killian O'Sullivan from Cork. And the show is absolutely flying. I've only seen a couple of episodes uh, and it's it's daft. It's absolutely daft. But uh, I have been speaking to Killian and uh, we can we'll hear that next. Killian, good to have you on the program uh, and welcome to the opinion line. First of all, your your Cork roots. Oh yeah. Originally originally the folks are from Ballinlock. Huh. Um and so but I was actually born in New York and um they, my folks had moved to New York to make a bit of dollar when that was the time to do it. And um, I popped out and nine years later, we came back to Cork. So we were living in Ballinlock and, um, 
Yeah, that's kind of the the uh, the Cork origin right there. Went to St. Anthony's All Boys School, got got the first box I ever got in Ballinlock at ten years old. I'll never forget it. Made me the man I am today. Well, we were probably neighbours' children because I grew up in Ballinlock as well. Oh, good man. As well, I was kind of over the border in sort of the edges of Black Rock, but the address okay. the address at home was Ballinlock. So now we now we have the roots. So how do you end up? on television shows like this one and like The Blacklist? Well, uh, I mean, you know, first and foremost, you got to get the audition. Um, I've got, uh, I'm really happy with with my representation and, and it's very important for um, for getting opportunities. And, and so that's, that's a big part of it. And, and they know what kind of a career I would like. And we've had conversations and, and some reps aren't hands-on, mine are. Mm. Um, and I, that's how I would, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, so, but at the first, you know, in the first place, you have to kind of be there for the opportunity and, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about an opportunity like that when it comes along. I mean, Netflix is the big guns, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, look, like there, there has been some opportunities that have come across my emails that are like, you know, <sighs> I guess in my earlier career, if something came along that felt like it had some weight behind it, that if I got this job, it might make life a little bit easier. Um, you know, I always kind of put a lot of weight on it and, and would be sitting there looking at my telephone, you know, waiting for a phone call for two weeks, hoping I got the part. But I guess when I moved to America and I kind of started to work a little bit more and more um, and I started to get more and more auditions and opportunities, uh, uh, there's a lot of things come across your emails that, that are um, big opportunities and you just have to learn to let them go. So much like this, I read it, I saw it, I was like, wow, this would be incredible. But I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. When I did the part, when I did the audition, I assumed I wouldn't get it like I would with any audition. Not that I'm not optimistic, but that's just, those are the ads. Um, I just did it, sent it off, let it go off into the ether and then got a phone call a couple of weeks later saying I got the part, which was crazy. Hmm. How did the acting start for you in the first place, Killian? Well, my mother decided that I would be a good actor because I was always doing impressions of all sorts, like Michael Jackson or something. Next thing I'd start, and I and the whole family putting on a hat, doing a dance in front of the telly. And they'd be like, get out of the way, will you? And um, she thought it would be a good idea to bring me to an audition. So we, um, we, we went to this audition in New York for an off-Broadway play, and I went and I did Tiny Tim. That's kind of like the, that's where I always start. Anytime people ask me when I started acting, that's the answer they get. So the first part I ever really properly had was Tiny Tim and the Christmas Carol. And then um, it was always kind of like floating around my life, the whole acting thing. Uh, moved to Ireland, it kind of felt it away side a little bit. And then my gran was reading The Echo one day and she says, there is a part, they're looking for this 17-year-old scumbag who can speak Irish in this new Irish language TV show called The Running Mate. And she said, you're perfect for it. I went down I got the part. And uh, I kind of got an agent from there and, and was I took that was just the route that I took from there. I remember that. The, the Running Mate? Yeah. <laughs> I, I loved it because, do you know why, as someone who follows politics and has done for 30 years... Oh, yes, okay, yeah. It's so true to life and it's the part of politics you don't see. It was actually very good, yeah. Yeah, it really was. Don Witcherly. Yeah. Harry Crowley. Yeah. Yeah. And and are you a fluent speaker? You are. I would have said Gorev Gwelgalitha Gum about maybe ten years ago, but I haven't been speaking it too often to people right. for a while. 
um, but I try and represent wherever I can. And then the States, LA, like, what's it like there? Is, is it still where all the big gigs are? So as far as the big gigs go, I definitely don't live in LA for, for any kind of uh, work reasons. They're, they're, especially with COVID, everything is done over a tape um, or, you know, a Zoom meeting or something like that. And when I was living in New York, which is where I lived before LA for, for a few years, um, you know, any kind of opportunities that came from LA, some kind of a studio that's based here, I would have just taped for through New York. So uh, the geographical isn't as much of a thing anymore, I don't think. Um, so, yeah, but but I guess technically the, the, the bigger opportunities uh, would come from studios that are based either here or in New York. Yeah. Right, right, right. Now, uh, Netflix, we, we, we should probably talk about the show and then a couple of ep- episodes into it. And I would describe it, Killian, as, as bonkers, but great right. fun to watch and really well put together. That's the thing, isn't it, with Netflix? Like, it's a step up. They really go to town. Yeah. Yeah, they go mad. And look, um, I <laughs> someone else was another Irish man was was reviewing it this morning, and uh, he calls he called it a bunch of mad stuff, and, and um, that's that's about that's about it. It is it is a uh, it's a mad one and bonkers, like you said. But it's it's look, it's a spy fi show, right? And that's yeah. what they set out to make. And it's like a John Wick, female John Wick with a sci fi element. Um, it's got some supernatural stuff going on with us. Um, you know, it's a whole conglomeration of stuff. But I, I got to say one thing, like, you know, when I, when I look, when I, when I saw the show for the first time, like, you don't necessarily need a strong cast for a show that has so many things going on all at once, right? Yeah. And the cast, man, like my castmates, Margarita Lavila, Charles Bryce, Lydia Fleming, you know, everybody from the top to bottom just really elevated the whole thing and just brought, it, it's not grounded, right? But the cast grounded it. And, you know, that's one of its greatest strengths. And the story is interesting. And it's an eight episode story. You know, like you don't really want to sit down and watch one episode a week. You want to binge the thing. You do. The, the opening plot, I was describing it for one of the team here. So there's this hockey mom arrives in Spain uh, with her daughter and her daughter's team. Yeah. She goes out to buy tampons. She gets kidnapped by the CIA. You, in other words. She's a former Russian agent. And <clears throat> at the end of the first episode, she turns into a man. Like, it's crazy. But it's great. It's great. Yeah, they, listen, the first time I saw the end of the first episode, it gave me goosebumps. Because, you know, when, when all you have is, is the script and you see that it's a spy show and I thought it was, it was very cool, um, you don't know how they are going to do the whole shape-shifting thing because that has nothing to do with the actors or anything that you're seeing in front of your, your own eyes while you're shooting. That's going to be done in post-production. Yeah. And it gave me goosebumps. They did it really well. It did. And it's a great hook to keep you going on to the next episode. And that's something that Adam Glass, the, the showrunner, does very, very well with this, is the hooks. Yeah, it's really enjoyable. And it, it's, got, it's got something at the end of every episode to say, I'm not going to bed. I'm not going to bed. Exactly. Anything else on the horizon for you? Yeah, I just did a TV show called uh, Then You Run, um, which we shot in Berlin pretty much right after we finished in from the cold in Madrid. I went shooting this in Berlin um, and I have seen a little bit of footage and it looks unbelievable. Um, 
we had like the RDP is incredible. The story is, is very unique. It comes from a book called You. Um, and it's very different from that book in, in many very big, big ways, but it is based on that. And um, it's about an Irish family that uh, are involved in all sorts of unscrupulous bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. And um, I play Oran O'Rourke. And is that another Netflix one? That's Sky. It's a Sky That's, show. Oh, Sky show. Okay, cool. right. Listen, there's lots of people trotting the boards and trying to get into the acting game over here, Killian, as you well know. And, and we produce yeah. a lot of good acting talent. Any, mm-hmm. advi- any advice for them? Any, any, is, there, is, there a, is there a magical formula to get into where you are? I think I can only give my opinion of what, what you know. I, I've, I've been pretty lucky now the last couple of years and I've worked fairly regularly and I haven't had to have a, you know, uh, a side gig dealing with um, Upper West Side rich white people telling me that their their steak is cold for, for a little while. And, um, you know, I just think that... Okay, so for, for Irish people, I think there's a big benefit to trying to you know, work regularly as an actor coming from Ireland. Because when you come to LA or New York, there's a lot of stuff getting made over here, right? Like a lot of stuff. And mm. a lot of it is utter shite. Excuse the language. In <laughs> Ireland, our short film game is is just absolutely world class. Like it really is. Any short film I've done in Ireland, I look at it and I'm like, this is so well done. Mm. Actually, a short film I did called Thumb Wars that was done by Lisa Kyo was a big part of me landing this this role in this Netflix series because okay. the showrunner went up to the, to look at things that I had done in the past before he offered me the roles and uh, the role and he loved Thumb Wars. So, you know, try and get work in Ireland. The, the, the general crew from the amateur to the professional in Ireland are just among the best in the world. So use that to your advantage. Get, get a show reel, get good representation, and, you know, you have to know what you want. Don't yeah. be doing it because you want to be famous, you, because you got to be prepared to be broke, and you got to be prepared for an awful lot of rejection. You just do it if you want to act, and if that's something that you want to do, work really, really hard at it. And, um, yeah, and I, but I really genuinely do think that Ireland is a fantastic place to, to start, because the crews and, and the general production value there are better than than almost anywhere in the world. Wow. And, and that's and that's coming from a guy who's seen a bit of the world of acting and, yeah. and production at this stage. Killian, lastly, people are going to ask, any smell of a second series of In From The Cold? We don't know. I mean, look, Netflix kind of make TV shows. They throw them at the wall and they see what, what sticks, right? And But all I can say is right now, we are performing very well. Yeah. And, you know, we are number two in the world. We're number five in Ireland, Hop the Rebels. And... We're we're like number two in France. We're 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 doing great, but like number two in the world, like that's probably surpassing a lot of expectations in regards to what we would have needed. If you want to sit down, you want to see great fight scenes, great spy fi action. Yeah. And I can't say enough about the soundtrack. I love the soundtrack. Mm. And the thing is just it has impossibly cool vibes and you will enjoy it. It's Netflix. It's luscious. That's what they do. Yeah. And, and that's the best luscious, thing about it. That's the word. Yeah. It's great. Killian, a pleasure to have you on the opinion line. And good luck with the career and, and really enjoying In From the Cold. Thanks, PJ. Have a good one. That's Killian O'Sullivan from Ballinlock, currently the star, or one of the stars of In From the Cold. He's the fellow with the beard, the CIA man. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 0818 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. That moment on First Dates Ireland when you see somebody that you know. Oh, Hi yeah. Zoe. Hello VJ, how are you? <laughs> Good. How did it all go? It went really well. I'm like cringing now listening back to it. I'm like, oh my God, that was so, so hard to watch yourself on TV on a date with someone. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> when was it done, Zoe? It was done um, somewhere last year. Right. So it's been like six months just waiting now for <laughs> to go live. Yeah, It's done in the Gibson uh, and the, that lovely hotel mm-hmm. there by the by the, by the three arena and it's all really well put. Yeah. Like the the... How long did, does the whole process take? I mean, it's it, it seems like it takes a whole day, does it? It doesn't take a whole day. I say I was there for about two hours, maybe right. three hours. It's kind of like you go in, you have your date, and then you do all like your exit stuff. Now, you do have to go to the Gibson again, kind of like a month before your date, where you see me saying, I have a week spot for gingers and stuff. So you have to give them time to find your perfect match. So if you're to include that interview as well it would be about a four hour process altogether but it was quick you're in and out and you get to meet new people and is it a complete blind date like you've no idea oh complete blind date like they are so good at making sure you don't see each other before you get into that restaurant (laughs) it's maybe like blinders on until you get to the door so it was completely blind so what's he like seems like a nice fellow lovely Oh no, complete gentleman. I had like such a good good time with him. Like he was just absolutely lovely. Mm. Was there a spark? There was the time, but you know yourself, PJ, I had the Miss Ireland finals only a few weeks after. Yeah, yeah. So all my focus went to that. And he lived in Dublin. I lived in Cork. Now I know he said he's from Limerick, but he actually worked in Dublin. Um, so there was such a distance between us. And then when I was in Cork, I've met my current boyfriend and David is also a new girlfriend, but we are still quite friendly with each other. Good. And we were like texting during the week, being like calming each other down with our nerves. And we were texting <laughs> each other like during the show, being like, are you OK? Well, it's good, it's good we to get a friend out of it. If you've got nothing else, a good friend will always be there. That was it, yeah. No, so you talked on, on it about your mom and, and you yes. know, describing your mom and what she went through. Um, and it, it was mm-hmm. kind of, you you make it you make light of it, but it must have been tough for her. Oh no, it was definitely tough for her. But I think as like the years go on, like we both just realize we just need to laugh at it. Because yeah. if we were allowing ourselves to be upset about something that happened so many years ago, when like in Ireland, someone of my skin color was so not rare to see, but like you wouldn't see many of me kind of going around the place, and yeah. also with a mother of the light skin. Um, but like that now we laugh about it now, but it was it was difficult for her back then. Yeah, like the idea of someone walking up to a pram and saying, Where'd you get her from though? You know. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> and again, yeah. we shouldn't like we would laugh at that now because it wouldn't happen now, at least you'd hope it wouldn't happen yeah. now. But how, have you ever talked to her about how she felt about it? 
Um, we haven't really talked about it in like the last few years, but I remember like growing up and her telling me like the stories. I was like, oh my God, like how did you deal with it? And I think it's where I get like my attitude from of just kind of like laughing things off. And she'd be like, yeah, I was annoyed about it in the moment, but she realized it as well. It was like a changing world back then. So she knew she just kind of had to laugh it off and explain like, this is now the new normal. Like, this is my baby. I had her. She's my pride and joy, if I can say that, and she doesn't give out to me. <laughs> um, but so I definitely think that's where I get, like, my lightheartedness from when there is a difficult situation going on because she's just, like, she just have to educate people. Yeah, yeah. and you, through through the whole Miss Cork thing and the Miss Art, you really have been educating people that way. Uh, you're enjoying the experience, are you? I am, yeah. And, like, it's funny now because I'm helping David, who's the organiser for Miss Cork, get ready for this year's Miss Cork. And it's so sad to think I'm going to have to, like, hand over my crown now. But I just know, like, I'm seeing the girls come in and apply and all of them just look absolutely amazing. I don't know how we're going to pick a winner this year just from even seeing their applications and stuff. But it's, like, so exciting to see that, like, the new kind of round of girls to come in. But... I'll be by their side helping them out as much as I can. Yeah. Are you getting to work on the Alzheimer's stuff? I know when we talked at the time, that was very important to you to use your status as Miss Cork yeah. to, to drive the Alzheimer's. Yeah. How are you getting on there? It was, it was very important for me and it is still very important to me now. I need, I am working closely with them still and I'm doing the step into March and stuff like that with them. I'm not working as closely as I did in last year just with starting a new job and working full time and stuff. That has taken up my time, mm. but I still do all their events and take part. Okay. All right. Well, you're having fun and uh, first yes. dates was fun and he's a nice fella and you have a friend. Have you got nothing else out of it but a good friend? You've done all right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Zoe, always lovely to talk to you on the programme. The reigning uh, Miss Cork, Zoe Hendrick, who was on last night's um, First Dates Ireland. And uh, she might know she has, she has a boyfriend and he's got a girlfriend, but they've got a friendship out of it. And you know what? They don't come on trees either. They don't grow on trees. 0818 96 96 96. It will be completely remiss of, remiss of me coming into a rugby weekend and describing myself as a rugby fan not to for at least a few seconds think about Tom Kiernan uh, the great Tom Kiernan who passed away aged 83 yesterday uh, he was one of the biggest names in the history of Irish rugby he played for Ireland 54 times captained Ireland 24 times he was a skipper on the Lions Tour of South Africa in the 60s. He kicked the winning score the first time Ireland ever beat South Africa. He captained the first Irish team to win a test in Australia. He played on the first Munster team to beat Australia. He coached the first Munster team, the only Munster team, to beat New Zealand, that famous match in Thoman Park. He coached that team. He coached Ireland to Triple Crown. He was president of the IRFU, a Corcon man, a UCC man. And the European Cup and the European competitions that we love so much, we might not have had them without the determination and the drive and the enthusiasm of Tom Kiernan. He died at the age of 83. I, I met him once, many years ago, in the company of my dear departed friend, Frank O'Brien, I met him. Um, a legend of the game and a lovely man and a corkman. A corkman to his core. I died yesterday at the age of 83. Rest in peace, Tom Kiernan. There'll be a minute silence at all Six Nations matches this weekend and only rightly so. Can we just talk? 
Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Get even more of Casey and Ross in the morning on the Highlight Show. Your chance to catch up and listen again. Saturday between 9 and 10 a.m. Everything is just right. On Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Now, look, you can argue till the cows come home about spring and I'll argue all day with you about spring starting in February and spring starting in March. But you can say we're on the warm-up into spring, and I'll compromise with you there. We talked uh, for the wintertime, the summertime, and the autumn to Gillian Powell about her series of books called Thrive, which are things for kids to do in the great outdoors. And I suppose it would be only right to square the circle and complete the circuit because the book is out for spring now. Gillian, good morning. Good morning, PJ. And you made it, we made it through another winter and I hope you're feeling the benefits of spring. The sun is shining here in Bandon and yeah. snowdrops in the garden. So definitely it's a yeah. day to the heart and cork, you know. I have a constant argument with people, the old traditional first of February versus the scientific first of March but I'll settle with you for a compromise we're at least building up for spring hence the book is out so what kind of activities have you got for the kids in this one well basically I'd like to start today with anxiety you know lots of children are anxious particularly having come through the pandemic so there's little exercises there to help anxious children and nature has a huge solace for us all I've mentioned that before, but one of the little things you could do with your little child today is to take them outside, hold their little hands, and just, you know, trace your hand in theirs, count to four, and just breathe in, and then count again, and breathe out. And that little connection just slows it all down, you know? I've said it before, I'll say it again, and you're saying it too, it's amazing how the wild calms a child. It gives them experiences, you know, that they can have the big, exciting run or whatever, but it also calms their sense of anxiety. We have an old Irish phrase, I think, that came into my head just as you were ringing there. I was getting a little anxious myself. And, you know, here's your hat, where's your hurry? So I think there's a little bit of slow it right down and take it out there. And then, of course, spring is the time that you're observing potions and measuring if we're going into the math role and I think again we could link lots of anxiety about math and learning and a really good help to your children you know approaching learning in school is to take it outside and there's loads of ideas here how to develop mathematical and observational thinking outside and that's particularly effective for active learners you know it it just makes it that little bit easier for some children you know you can look at Liters, two liters, things you have in the You don't need to spend a lot of money and make a growing awareness of the whole mathematical concepts that are in the world. And that will really help your children as they approach that in the books in school, you know. Go through a bit of that for me. How would you, the, 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 how would you get maths into the changes in the season? Well, I think, well, let's, let's start, we'll say, with measuring. 
you've got a milk bottle. You've got maybe a litre and a two litre milk bottle. Well, I take that outside and I would be filling that with water. You can look at the concept of full, half full and empty. All of that kind of capacity reaches back into your mathematical thinking process. Then there's the whole concept of observation. Um, Cronin's bar and Google Barrett um, shared a beautiful picture on Instagram yesterday of frogs spawn. Oh. So, you know, if your child happens to see some frogs spawn outside, the whole process of watching that frog spawn grow, and maybe in education now, obviously, we don't want the frog spawn of Ireland raided, but certain teachers can. Watching that grow and develop as an educational project, which is allowed, Tune your children into watching how things change over time. And that's a wonderful way to develop ob- observational skills. And then we, we can use the language around that as, as um, you know, parents and teachers. And language is what develops thought. And thought is what develops into intellectual capacity. And of course, at the bottom of all of that, you won't get any of that unless you have an emotional security and a sense of calm of Okay. Yeah, there's yeah. something something that I would maybe contribute, and is you said nature is calming and 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 the sense of calm. And I know myself, and I'm far from a child, and it's many years since I was a child. Something that I found the most incredibly calming experience is the first few real spring sunrises. Yeah, I would bring a child out to watch a spring sunrise. Just watch a sunrise. And I think you have touched on the thing there. I was on a talk that Richard Louvre gave uh, last week, and in it he said something that really touched my heart. That sense of wonder is around us in the world. I think I see this as the opposite side of the coin to the climate change. We've painted a nightmare for children, you know, and I don't think that helps. Martin Luther King didn't say, I have a nightmare. He said, I have a dream. And like, if you ask most 10-year-olds now, I think they might be saying to you, you know, if you ask them, what's your vision for the world in 10 years' time? They, they might have in their heads a vision of kind of Eddie Murphy dragging an alien across a desert landscape, you know. But that's not the truth. The truth is just what you said is the early morning, which isn't too early these mornings, sun rising in, in a, on a spring day. You know, the earth is the source for, for us all and connecting in with us will definitely calm us all, but it'll also give children that connection to nature and they will have, you know, they have the solutions. They're the people that will come up with the light bulbs of the future. You know, we have it in Ireland. Look at the Collison brothers. You know, their sense of discovery and excitement and education has created strife, and I'm sure with those two boys, they're young boys, they will contribute much more to the world. But we don't know whose child is going to be the person that solves climate trains. You know, look at Seamus O'Reilly there and all the wonderful work and all the team there in cancer research. That started in their childhood enthusiasm for science and nature, you know, and observation and all of that. And I think every parent can do that. We just having the confidence to do it. Another lovely exercise is a scavenger hunt. We're kind of putting a bit of a twist twist with it, like, you know, finding a blue leaf, finding something sharp, finding something strong. 
something long, you know, and making little cards for that. And there's examples of that. That's a fantastic language exercise again and maths exercise. And not that hard to do. None of these activities cost a lot of money, you know, in Thrive, in any of the books. Yeah. They're all geared for the everyday life and the everyday family. Yeah. Remind us again where we can get the book. It's buythebook.ie, isn't it? Yeah, buythebook.ie, Amazon, of course, and local bookshops, and they've been amazing. And can I just take a moment to pay particular tribute to your producer, Fiona Corcoran. She's been, she's so encouraging of women in business. You know, she, your program, she, she's just fantastic. I just have to say that. Oh, well, that's great. She's, she's, she's not here today. She's going to have to pamper herself for the weekend. We'll certainly pass on your kind words. And, and that's very good of you, Gillian. Thank you so much. And good luck with the books. And we've had you on for each one of them now. Thrive, they're called. And you get them by the book dot I-E. I was just thinking about that. You know, children are a bit scared and a bit anxious and they've been through a tough time, as we all have, but it's had an awful effect on them. And maybe in a couple of weeks' time, when you start to see the really spectacular some spring morning sunrises, bring a child out. Bring a small child out to watch the sun coming up. Go east or come into town early and stand on Patrick's Bridge and watch the sun come up and see the wonder in their eyes. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now he's the fella who introduces the celebrities on or the people who are not celebrities but guests just playing guests on the Tommy Tiernan show. But of course He's a jobbing comic in his own right, and he's about to embark on a tour. Fred Cook, good morning. Uh, PJ, how are you keeping? Great good. to hear from you. And great to speak so. with you. I need to ask you a question for a talk about the tour. He genuinely doesn't know, does I he? I knew it. <laughs> the amount of time to ask that question. I mean, you're pals, genu- so you know. <laughs> it, I, I, only find out, I only find out half an hour before I introduce the guest. And uh, I don't want to know who the guest is on the Tommy Tiernan show because the reason why is because I don't want to leak it. Sometimes mm. I get excited. Like, I, sometimes I get excited about guests and I know Tommy would as well if he knew. So I, I distance myself from Tommy Tiernan until after the show because I just, I might say hello at the start, but I, I, don't, I don't want to know myself. And I've decided to just, I read it out in the card as well. So I open up the card to my own surprise as well. Like, so it's an, it's an incredible show. Uh, I don't know how Tommy manages to do to hold the attention and interest, but uh, it works. Yeah, it, it, it works. It, it, I mean, I think when you when you all ventured into it, it was a kind of a, a one series wonder they thought for Tommy and and for yourself. But it's it's developed a whole life of its own. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think uh, when when the show started, I think they kind of wanted to. It felt like they were replacing the Republic of Telly. And uh, the funny thing about it was the Tommy Turner show is anything but the Republican tally. Uh, Tommy, uh, I guess, Tommy, it's all about the conversation. Yeah. It's a bit like yourself. That's, you know, it's, he's got a real interest in people and, and, uh, and anything else around it's too busy. You know, like, uh, or, there's no need for sketches or stuff. It's actually, when you look at the show, uh, it's got less and less, but more powerful in the process because of it. Yeah. So, uh, like, even even the way I introduce people, I can't I can't go too happy or too sad because at one moment I'm introducing a comedian, but the next person might be like uh, has 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 been suicidal or stuff. So you know what I mean. You have to be kind of precious with your introduction because yeah. uh, you you just don't know what way to do. Yeah. Like you know, there's no yeah. there's no happy or sad way to do it. And, like we 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 so. 
I often wonder, like, when you call out the name, does he ever look across at you? And we edited, obviously. Would he ever look across? <laughs> it's great. And your own sh- your own show, which you're taking on the road, is called "And Your Next yeah. Guest Is." That's it, yeah, and it's a play on the TV show as well. People often ask me why don't why wouldn't I be a guest? And the reason why there's two there's two. There's, there's, there's a certain uh, guest that Tommy wouldn't like on the show and it's a comedian and a friend and thankfully I like to see myself as both so uh, so the thing is but uh, but I also think it's so funny because the next guest is from my own Irish tour it is me I'm the guy who's actually you know because this is that's that's what I've been doing for the past you know 13 years is stand-up comedy that's my real passion yeah uh, you know I start I couldn't get gigs anywhere only in Cork when I started off. And uh, so just, it's just, it's mighty to come back to Cork and gig. And, you know, listening to Gillian there talk about the benefits of spring, you know, for me, that just brings such heart, it brings such joy, you know, because that's freedom for me now. I'm back on the road and, uh, you know, I'm telling jokes and I, I do what I love most, yeah. which is great. I, I saw you, I can't even remember where now, I saw you about 10 years in Cork. Uh, I, I'm not a frequent visitor to comedy clubs, even though I do love stand-up, but I, I saw this, who is this lunatic? <laughs> who has me choking on my Guinness <laughs> with the most yeah. ordinary observations of life. <laughs> I know, yeah. Well, that's it. I'm so kind of, uh, like, I'll never go heavy. Do you know what I mean? When you're watching me, I'm the opposite of Squid Games. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm just kind of, I'm nice and happy on stage the whole time. Yeah. I really go, I really go political and stuff like that. Like, I'm quite musical. That's what I love to do as well. And as you said, it's the observations. Do you know, even yesterday I was thinking about, do you remember PJ when we went on school tours as kids and we all sang, everywhere we go, yeah. people always yeah. ask us. And me, I grew up in Kells County Mead, so I genuinely thought that song was specifically written for the students of Kells. I never knew other towns had it. Yeah, so, uh, so schools I, had it. My school ca- had it, you know. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So then I was kind of thinking, what about the people in Newtown, Mount Kennedy? That's a lot to put in. <laughs> how are we going to fit that into a line? <laughs> exactly, yeah. How are we going to put that one in? We're from Newtown and Kennedy. We'll have, to, we'll have to write a whole new song for those lads. <laughs> you know, so, uh, so that's, my, you know, that's my kind of everyday. I have a lot of time on my hands over the last two years, as, as you can see. So that's, uh, they're, my, they're my observations. Yeah. Are, uh, you know, even uh, today... <laughs> Did you ever Google what was number one the year the day you were born? Yeah. Did you ever do that, PJ? And do you know your answer? What's I've your been, answer? I've forgotten now. It was the I've 60s. forgotten. Yeah, it was a Beatles song, I think. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. Love me do or something like that. I was. Uh, mine was. Uh, mine was. I couldn't get over it. Was uh, talk about such sadness in the world when I was born. It was the winner takes it all by ABBA. I was like, that's what mom says that I rang her. She, she remembers that being played while I was being born. The, the winner takes it all, the loser has to fall. I mean, even if I was, even if I was a week earlier, I would have come out to David Bowie's Let's Dance or something like that, you know? So, <laughs> so, it was, uh, so, you know, I just, I love, I love music and I love the silliness and chaos. And do you know, as, you know, and there is such freedom. This show that I'm doing now, it's all about the celebration of freedom and, and weddings and Damn stuff. It. Like, you, to think about, you know, to think about, we, there was a stage when we weren't able to do Rock the Boat a wedding, so it was illegal. It's not mad, isn't it? We're, it's too close. We're lying on the floor. You're not allowed oh. to do so. So hopefully, like, we'll we return to that. True. I mean, we, we Wed- were wedding, with- Weddings weren't complete without Rock the Boat. 
Oh, completely. Yeah, completely. I mm. met my wife. No, that's almost, boat, more, almost as important as the ceremony, <laughs> rock the boat. Yeah. <laughs> you, should, you, should, you should have that before the signing <laughs> of, the, of the thing. Just the whole, all the cousins on one side and relatives all in the aisle in the middle and rock the boat. And then we'll all just smile our way out of the church. Yes. Do you know, because that's the thing. I mean, like we were kind of, at one stage, I think we, we had to resort to line dancing because it's manually socially distanced, which <laughs> was like, you know, a apart. And all this is in the new show, which is called, and our next, oh, and your completely. next guest is, you're in Cork, the, na- the 9th of April in Collins. The 9th of April in Collins. And do come along. Tickets are selling really well. Right. And uh, if you're looking for a proper laugh and a good night out, uh, you know, you can count on me. It'll be, it'll be mighty fun. 9th of April in Collins. We might, we might chat again around that time. Fred Cook, good luck with the tour. And uh, great to see the success of the Tommy Tiernan show. He's a very funny fella. In fairness to Fred Cook.